thank you for coming to the podcast, Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com, featuring this week's interview with Matt the Immortal Brown, is brought to you by Human Weapon Clothing. Human Weapon Clothing is a no-nonsense MMA clothing brand by MMA fans for MMA fans that keeps things simple and classy. They don't look like a crazy tattoo with skulls and dragons like other MMA clothing brands. And they're proud to introduce their brand new Kickstarter for their newest product, the Black Belt Bag. It's like a cinch bag that looks just like a gi. It's available in blue, black, and white, and you'll be able to show off what you love on the way to training what you love. So go to blackbeltbags.com right now and be one of the very first to get one. And also, don't forget to go to humanweapon.com and enter in promo code FLOW for 15% off your first order there as well. Human Weapon Clothing brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA, and it starts right now. This is Dave and Dan with FlowCombat.com's Top Turtle MMA, and we are speaking to the immortal Matt Brown, who fights Diego Sanchez at Ultimate Fight Night Norfolk on November 11th. Uh, Matt, you know, you, you kind of already uh, set the MMA media world on fire by saying that this is going to be your last fight. So w- why now? What makes this the right time? Why now for retirement? Um, kind of a, That's kind of a long story, I guess. Uh, a lot to kind of talk about on that subject. But honestly, I'm not even thinking about it right now. I'm not thinking about November 12th or what I'm going to do after this fight. I'm 100% focused on this fight and... <clears throat> We'll see how everything uh, plays out on November 12th, but for now it's November 11th is what's on my mind. I like that. So I, I personally love the match with Diego Sanchez uh, for a lot of reasons, but wh- why was he sort of the, the right opponent to get you to sign on the dotted line here? Um, I guess there wasn't any wrong opponent. <laughs> I thought we would have signed the dotted line for pretty much by anybody, I guess. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think uh, me and Diego have been – you know, right next to each other for a long time and it just didn't end up meeting in the octagon and it was just a matter of time before we did. I think timing works out for both of us. So so I know you you know you you mentioned right off the the bat that you're not really talking about retirement. Um but you know I, I have to ask, you know, with with the retirement coming up, you you know, you're you're super focused on the fight. Obviously you're not letting it uh change your your thing but do you look back at your career and and think about like what accomplishments you're proud of at this time oh man that's a, that's a tough one you know i guess part of uh part of me is like yeah you know i i did accomplish some good things i kind of i could be proud that i came you know i was, I was a, a kid on the streets when i was 21 and now i'm 36 and a ufc vet and um you got all the way up to about you know, one fight away from a title. So, um, I can be pretty proud of all that, but I, I guess when you're on the outside looking in, it's easy to look at that stuff. When you're on the inside, it doesn't feel like you I've done anything. I mean, I just look at it like I, I still have a lot more to do and, and I'm not really content with uh, everything that I've done. So, so I'm I'm gonna you know I'm I'm gonna press you and, and feel free to stop me here if I'm I'm pressing too hard. But you know you said in the beginning that you're you're not trying to really think about retirement, and here you are saying that you're you're not really you don't feel like you're done. Uh, is there any chance that we wind up seeing Matt Brown after November 11th, or have you kind of you know this decision is final kind of guy? 
Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I guess originally, like when I announced it, I mean, it was pretty much a final decision thing, and you know, it, it wouldn't. I guess in a perfect world, I'm able to retire, um, and and then and uh, the decision could be made based on <clears throat> whether I want to or not. Um, the reality is. Uh, it may be just be more to it than that. I mean, I, I may come back just to fight just because I want to fight. I may come back fight for money, uh, which is really what I want to avoid. I just don't want to come back and fight for money. So I want to <clears throat> pursue other things. And and if I come back to fight, I want it to be because I'm looking to uh, for a championship and, and I'm pursuing great things, not just to uh, try to make some money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that that's a good approach, too, because I think we do see way too many athletes nowadays who are hanging around past their time, uh, but it doesn't necessarily feel like you're at that time. No, I don't I don't think I'm past my time at all. Uh, what I would – the ideal situation is that I uh, – <clears throat> sorry, that I get out of the sport before it's my time mm-hmm. and now after. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what – a lot of people end up doing is they they kind of get forced out of the sport and that's not really what I'm trying to do you know I want to get out um before you know before there's any any real repercussions and like I said the, the biggest thing is like I just don't want to be fighting for money you know I don't want to be I don't want my um my focus, my goals, and my intentions to be anything less than a championship. And that's really what kind of sparked the whole retirement talk was that, like, right now my motivation is doesn't feel like it's for a championship. Like, I don't have the motivation to go through a whole championship run. Um, I have the motivation to fight. So, you know, there's – I wouldn't – I wouldn't uh, count out coming back just to fight a fight or something just because, you know, I'm, I'm really hungry to fight and I really love fighting. But, um, you know, I'm probably contradicting myself a little bit. But <laughs> to be honest, I mean, you know, all it comes down to is right now I'm really just thinking about this fight. And, you know, I want to be, you know, very clear uh, in my focus and direction and goals in this fight. And, mm. and afterwards, I want to be very clear in what I want to do uh, post-fight and, We'll worry about that then. Yeah, and let's talk a little bit, too, about the fight, too, itself, because, you know, Sanchez is the kind of guy who's uh, pretty much had one of two different kinds of fights, the kind of fight where he goes out and just throws hands nonstop for, you know, 15 minutes until somebody bleeds all over the mat, and he's got other fights where he tries to, you know, sort of wrestle people to the ground and kind of suffocate them, but nothing seems to be in between. Uh, You know, what, what Diego Sanchez do you feel like you're preparing for the most of uh, you know, not that obviously you can predict or, or you're not preparing for both, but what are you sort of expecting him to do when he steps in? Um, to be honest, I'm, I'm not really preparing for Diego Sanchez at all. I'm preparing Matt Brown and making sure that I'm 100% ready and that um, whatever happens, happens. And I'm going to go in there and I think he's got to worry a lot more about what I'm going to do to him than what I'm gonna need to, than what he's able to do to me. So, you know, I'm not worried about his game plan, his goals, what he wants to do. I know what I'm going to do, and this is a new approach I've taken. Um, I think I, a lot of the uh, big mistake that I've made is I've put too much emphasis on what my opponents do and 
trying to kind of game plan around that, strategize around that. And you know, it's time for me to go out and do what I do. And mm-hmm. I think that's a, a, to me, you know, I, I mean, I haven't uh, thought yet, but it feels like a much better approach. I'm, I'm not really worried about what anybody else is doing. I'm, I'm doing what I do. And and that certainly seems like an approach that, you know, uh, you know, a lot of the guys are going in with now that when I ask them, you know, what do you think uh, your opponent's going to do? They they really don't seem to care, especially because there are so many fights drop out nowadays anyway. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, I know what my opponent's going to do. He's going to get knocked out. So <laughs> I don't really have to worry about, you know, if he wants to do this or he wants to do that. I know what he's going to do. So is is that the official prediction from Matt Brown before we uh we take off for the day? Matt Brown KO. What round are we looking at? Um, round one, two, or three. <laughs> Doesn't really matter. <laughs> the first three rounds. <laughs> Sounds good. So uh, once again, Matt Immortal Brown fights on November 11th against Diego Sanchez at Ultimate Fight Night Norfolk. Thanks again for the time, Matt. Absolutely. Thank you, sir. And that interview with Matt the Immortal Brown is brought to you by Dead Frog Brewery. Dead Frog Brewery is a craft brewery nestled up near Vancouver, Canada that has no pasteurization and no preservatives and gives you good, clean beer. So head on up there to their brewery or head to deadfrog.ca or head to your local liquor store and pick up cans that are available now. Uh, Dave, there you have it, Matt Brown. Yeah, I mean, you were the one who did the interview with him one-on-one with the immortal one, uh, and just my outsider's opinion was he doesn't sound like he's ready to retire. Yeah, and I, you almost, like, didn't want to push him. Like, I, I didn't in, in interviewing him. You don't want to push him to, like, make a declaration that he's not ready to retire, but, like, he just kept saying, like, I, I feel like there's a little more left, or I, I feel like I, I, this might not be it. Or, you know, I don't want to be fighting for just money, but, like... I'm also not ready to like give this up forever. So it like, I, I felt like after I finished that interview that this is not the last Matt Brown fight that I see uh, this weekend, which which might take a little of the luster actually out of the fight because I, I kind of liked it because it was like his final fight and it's just a fun ass fight with Diego Sanchez, which we'll get to a little later in the show. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe he's sending smoke signals to Scott Coker over there in uh, Bellator, or uh, I don't know. Could he be like the main draw for World Series of Fighting and potentially make you know forty and forty or something? Yeah. Did, I mean, can we have the intern pull something up? What did Matt Brown make in his last fight? What did Matt Brown make in his last fight? I will have the intern on that, and uh, he'll get back to you in a short while. It's, um, it's interesting to think about because one thing with Matt Brown. You know, he's an interesting kind of, I guess, superstar, so to speak. He's not, I can't even call him a superstar. He's got a lot of, fo- no, he, I, I don't think calling him a superstar is wrong, though. He, he's he got a huge following, and every time he fights, everybody's like, well, we gotta see that. Yeah, you're right. I mean, he he's definitely a fan favorite, obviously, and what I wanted to make a point on was, you know, I used to get so excited when, like, an ex pride guy might be fighting now i'm talking about like legends of the sport like after rampage jackson came over and then even when rampage jackson wasn't even relevant still like after the john jones loss and you know he's fighting uh i don't even know mitchichenko or whoever i'm still excited because it's rampage jackson or like hua is a great example I know Mauricio Shogun Hua will never be champion again, but when I see him on a card on the UFC, 
in today's day and age, I'm still like, ah, fuck it. It's Mauricio Shogun Hua. Your brain and says I get violence. That's what, that, yeah. that, that's the beauty of it. And, and, you know, Matt Brown never achieved that legendary status. He never achieved a title belt. And he never fought in another promotion, really. So what I'm trying to say is he's almost like a superstar of the Zufa era, of the Dana White for Cheetah era, that the UFC entirely created. Yeah. And even though, again, he never maintained that upper echelon fighter, um, he's you a know, cult I don't know. He's, he's a favorite. He's a cult classic in, in the fight he world. Is. He, he is a fucking cult classic classic in did the, the intern have a chance to see what his the, last fight the, the uh, intern looked him? it up the intern looked it up he made seventy three thousand to show plus a twenty thousand dollar uh reebok bonus so he walked with ninety three thousand dollars after his last loss uh against so, donald cerrone i think like a world series of fighting or certainly like a i mean obviously a european or asian promotion would has you know, blood money to throw at him in some cases. But could, like, a World Series of Fighting just match that and then with the sponsorship he makes outside of it? I don't know. Yeah, I I don't know about that, too, because World Series of Fighting is is changing and rebranding right now. It's it's Professional Fighters League, and they're going to try that weird league format. So they might not be, like, the perfect match for him you know i i don't think he's gonna leave the ufc though i think i think the ufc trusts him as a guy he goes in there and beats diego i'm not saying they they re-sign him or don't re-sign him they might let him go to free agent or let him go to retirement for a little while and if he wants a comeback fight i bet you they give it to him yeah i could see that i think the ufc Um, appreciates him speaking of comeback fights (laughs) ufc 217 happened this past weekend oh did it and it did, it did, yeah. And uh, GSP at middleweight came back. I mean, we're not going to go through all the results because at this point I think our loyal fan base has, has heard of the results. But let's talk about what the meaning of it all is and try to put it into some context. So one thing I, I want to talk about is when you flash back to UFC 167, when GSP eked out that decision victory over Hendricks, obviously much maligned. A lot of people gave Hendricks that first round. I myself gave GSP the first round, so I thought GSP had it three rounds to two. Neither here nor there at this point, but could anyone have predicted, could they have said, you know what, in four years, I think GSP will come back and it'll be at middleweight against the champion, Michael Bisping. (laughs) And I think Johnny Hendricks will be the opening match on the card getting just obliterated by Brazil's newest prospect, also at middleweight. I mean, just how funny a two paths did those guys take to last Saturday? Yeah, uh, nobody would have agreed with literally any part of what you just said. (laughs) You know, maybe maybe GSP going up to 185 so that he could fight the champion Anderson Silva? Yeah, right, right, yeah. GSP at middleweight was always rumored, so that's like the least surprising out of everything. But that he... This thing being champion is just ridiculous. And and then that GSP ran through him. I mean, like, yeah, it's, it's such a wild path for him and Johnny Hendricks, which, I mean, Johnny Hendricks did not look good against Paulo Costa. Um, when you, Yeah, when you think four years ago that what that, that matchup meant to us then versus what it means to us now looking back at the history books. It's just silly. And it's funny, like, when Hendricks, you know, he well, when GSP ekes out the victory over Hendricks, and you think about Hendricks was on the rise and the ascension, and he looked dominant, and then, of course, he went on to have 
two wars with Robbie Lawler that next year, winning his, his title belt in the first one. Um, you know, GSP versus Hendricks now at middleweight, but you just imagine GSP would run the fuck through him. Yeah, I, I don't think anybody could even consider that a real fight. Uh, and especially in that there's no shortage of challengers in that division. I mean, like, Johnny Hendricks is, like, challenger number 28 right now in in that division yeah. to me. You know what I mean? Like, he's not even close. Like, three wins wouldn't put him anywhere near that. So, unpacking the performance a little bit, um, obviously the first round GSP looked great. As a huge GSP fanboy, I started to worry a little bit about uh, his cardio and his weight, obviously it was new for him, carrying that much weight. His jab looked better than ever. Freddie Roach in the corner. Uh, just amazing to me when you have a corner of Freddie Roach, arguably one of the best boxing trainers, managers in history. Uh, John Danaher, who is right now the best jiu-jitsu coach on the planet. And Faraz Zahabi, who's always in contention with Jackson Wink and, uh, you know, the guys down at ATT as coach of the year. I just thought it was so awesome that GSP was so well represented in his coaching because GSP is one of, if not the, most well-rounded fighter of all time. Oh, Striking, I, grappling, wrestling, everything. I think he is the most well-rounded. Because when people watched that fight and they were like, well, GSP's boxing is head and shoulders better than it used to be, he's using his jab really well now. And I was thinking to myself, wait a second, is it actually better, or do we just have selective remembering? Because, like, his boxing was always phenomenal. He just mm-hmm. he just never felt the need to show it. And then when he did decide to show it, he busted people's faces up. Everybody remember him fighting Josh Kostjak? Everybody was like, oh, what a wrestling match this is going to be. GSP came out and peppered Kostjak's eye until his orbital bone shattered. Like, yes. he, he was a good boxer before, this time, he was a good boxer with put-away power. That was the only difference. Like, he decided that he was going to go in and throw power punches this time. But I think he's always had that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think what made the matchup so interesting to me also was the size difference. I mean, you did see while he was able to take this thing down, he was not able to hold this thing down easily. I mean, the most damage GSP took was actually with Bisping on bottom and him in guard. That, to me, and it comes to the next point I wanted to make or where I wanted to take this conversation, Gumby, I don't see, as much as I love GSP and as great as I thought he looked, I don't see GSP doing that great against the upper echelon at middleweight. I think Michael Bisping was the perfect matchup for him. It was very opportunistic. It was incredibly opportunistic. It was, because I don't think... Uh, he matches up well and w- definitely would not be able to go to the ground control game against Weidman, Yoel Romero, Luke Rockhold. I mean, these people are just too big for him. Uh, and, you know, some of them, Yoel, Olympic wrestling base, Weidman, excellent uh, wrestling base, collegiate wrestler, All-American. So, for me, you know what? You know what I the... want to see... In, in that Good. sense, though, you you know you mentioned that he does. You don't think he could wrestle any of those three. I I I do agree with you on that, but I, that doesn't mean I don't think he can beat any of those three. Because just because he can't wrestle Chris Weidman, do you think Chris Weidman's striking is better than this or better than GSP? I, I happen to think Chris Weidman has a striking problem. So yeah. no, I don't. But so, I, so that I, that seems like I, a winnable fight for GSP. 
I don't think so, though, because I think largely a lot of what carried him through the Bisping fight was the threat of a takedown yeah, and the way Bisping true. didn't come forward. So I don't think Weidman or Rockhold would necessarily be as trepidatious about getting in there and exchanging or being on their back foot because they're going to say, yeah, come, you know, come and bring it. I just, I, I guess my point is, I don't think that is the right weight class for him. I would like to see him go back to 170. Dana White in the post-fight said it's it's Whitaker next, but, you know, can we really trust anything Dana says? What do you think? Let's go with Dana's word. What do you think of the Whitaker versus GSP matchup? Oh, God. I, it's so hard to tell, too, because the, the one opportunity we've had to see with Whitaker against a wrestler is uh, Yoel Romero, and Whitaker was hurt for almost that entire fight, and he still won it. Um, I, I just can't see. So Whitaker to me wins fights by bullying people a little bit, uh, mm-hmm. pushing forward, you know, getting in their face, throwing some big shots occasionally, but like, you know, he bullies them around a little bit. I, I think I'd pick GSP. Is that wrong? Like, I, 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 I think GSP could beat him. Cause he would not have to be worried about either. GSP's takedown though. Right? Like you said that, that Weidman wouldn't have to worry about the takedown. Rockhold might not have to worry about the takedown. Yoel Romero doesn't have to worry about the take. I think Robert Whitaker has to worry about the takedown. That is a phenomenal. You know what? You are talking me around, and I am a GSP fanboy, as I already mentioned. So, so I it's like easy to do saying. so. <laughs> you're, no, you're completely right. Because in my head, I was like, you know, Whitaker, I do find to be a better striker. I think he's faster. He obviously has more power. But I forgot about the fact that you know, wrestling-wise, uh, GSP could definitely inflict some damage. And also, Whitaker did fight at 170 for a long time, so he's certainly not massively bigger than no. GSP. No, and you know what, too? I know a lot was made out of his size against Bisping. I thought when he got in there, he looked pretty fucking huge. I, I mean, like... I, he did look... He looked thick. He looked thick. Yeah. So I, I heard an interview about him his nutritionalist and his, uh, the way that he had been putting on weight. And it just, I'm, he's like force feeding himself protein after he's already full. Uh, so, I mean, like the dude, the dude bulked up the right way at least, or, or at least according to his nutritionalist bulked up the right way. So while there's some like size discrepancy, as far as like height and reach and things like that, I mean, he looked fucking strong. Now, if he were to go back to welterweight, let's say, let's say he just vacated the 185-pound title, which doesn't really seem like a GSP thing to nah, do. he's going to defend that until he doesn't own it anymore. Uh, you obviously assume he would go against the champ, Tyron Woodley. Uh, I think that's a very interesting fight from the perspective that Woodley has some of the best takedown defense almost in history at this point. I think he's been taken down once and he's approaching a lot of fights in the UFC. From that aspect, I think it's a very interesting fight, too. I I still think I take GSP in that, and, and it's nothing to take away from Tyrone Woodley's takedown defense, because his, his takedown defense, you're right, is, is phenomenal. But, but let's look at the guys who've tried to take down Tyrone Woodley. You know, like, who's trying to take down Tyrone Woodley? Demian Maia, who, don't get me wrong, Demian Maia, phenomenal grappler, not like one of those like big strong American wrestlers. Uh, I mean, Kelvin Gastelum tried to take him down. Ke- Kelvin Gla- Gastelum fought him to a split decision. You know, like uh, Kelvin Gla- Gastelum might even got him down once or twice. Who else tried to get him down? 
Josh Koscheck, that fight wasn't long enough to try to get him down. So when you look back at like the people who've tried to get Tyrone Woodley down, you, you like look at the list and you're like, well, yeah, no shit, he's got the best takedown defense. He hasn't fought anybody who's like trying to rip him to the ground and is like a pure American wrestler. And and the couple who have have wound up in like split decisions with him. Yeah, no, that's that's a phenomenal point, actually. I mean, you, you can go uh, back to one... Jake Shields too. Jake Shields fought him to a split decision. Actually, he yeah, lost Jake... the split decision to Jake Shields. I take that back. He lost. Yeah, and the even split Jake. Decision. And even Jake Shields, you're not coming from that American wrestler. And not that GSP is either, but GSP has the oh, best you're, you're wrestling like big, in MMA history. You're, you're talking like big Colby Covington-looking motherfuckers, right? Cor- correct. And Jake Shields is more of a, as he calls it, American jiu-jitsu first. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are his style of takedown. So one thing else I wanted to bring up from Saturday is, you know, with everything that happened with John Jones, uh, this for me cemented the fact that GSP is the GOAT. It was always GSP or John Jones. I was giving the edge slightly in my head to John Jones. I'm not going about this too scientifically, but I felt like Jones had beaten more former champions. I went through the list. They actually have both beaten six former champions. Jeez. So the strength of schedule is, uh, you know, pretty even between the two. But I still actually rate some of GSP's competition a little higher. To me, Matt Hughes, BJ Penn, uh, these are all-time greats yeah. that he beat. You know, for John Jones, who are the two best people he beat? I'd say Daniel Cormier. And Daniel Cormier. Uh, and then, <laughs> yep, Daniel Cormier. And then you're looking at who, however you want to put Kua. Shogun, Shogun or Machida. Right, and ram- and Rampage in there. And, and Rampage, yeah. And and but the only other thing too that I would say is that like if you look at like the medium the middle tier of who John Jones fought versus like the middle tier of who GSP fought, like while you're right, six and six as far as champions, John Jones did beat Alexander Gustafson, right? Do you consider Alexander mm-hmm. Gustafson a champ? No, he never won a championship, right? GSP's comparison to that is like Dan Hardy. Tiago right. you know, like right. the the like bottomer, the like lower guys, the non champs that they beat. GSP's record is still crazy good, whereas like GSP's after that, kind of mediocre. So I mean, you know, like if we we're averaging it all together, all things considered, they're probably tied as far as resume. One snorted coke, hit a pregnant lady with his car, and tested positive for steroids twice. Uh, one is a clean spoken Canadian. So like I'm going with the clean spoken <laughs> Canadian. <laughs> Very well said, very well said. I mean, you also have to hand it to him, though, with GSP. I mean, GSP also beat Nick Diaz and Jake Shields, oh, non-UFC yeah. former champions. Uh, but those would be two massive names that he beat as well. Yeah, that's true. Um, and actually, I didn't count Carlos Condit, who was an interim champion. Yeah, he's for, technically like, a champ. A, a, a sneeze yeah. for a couple of days. He, he's uh, as so much of a champ as, as Daniel Cormier was. Uh, no, that's not true, because Cormier defended at least oh, the real championship. Yeah, I, I guess that if that's your argument. But what I mean is both of them were interim champs and never, well, I guess Daniel Cormier was actually a real champ. But Yeah, it's it's <sighs> convoluted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Won, that, he that's only a won the real championship. Yeah, yeah, whatever. All right, so with the rest of the card, uh, TJ Dillashaw knocked, down, knocked out, uh, or TKO, I should say, Cody Garbrandt, but it was the uh, the kick to the head that really started it all. That was in the second round. TJ wobbled to the end of the bell at the first round. I don't want to get in so much 
to the nitty-gritty of the fight. I think people know what happened at this point. But let's talk about where they go next. TJ called out Demetrius Johnson. Uh, what do you do with these two fighters next? I, I like that fight. I, I like Cody Garbrand going and finding uh, another fight to take. Somebody at Bantamweight who he can beat and build his stock back up. Because I really do think the winner of Cruz and Rivera deserve the next shot. Um, mm-hmm. Both, both yeah. of them are right on the cusp. Cruz has got to win over Dillashaw. So, like, if Rivera runs over Cruz, sure, give him a title shot, too. And in the meantime, if TJ wants to throw down with, with Mighty Mouse while they're waiting for that dust to settle, let let Mighty Mouse come up to 135 and fight for the title. I don't care. Mighty Mouse has earned his right to do whatever the fuck he wants. So I'm cool with that. And meanwhile, give Garbrandt somebody like John Lineker. You know, like, he's super fun to watch. We'll stand there and fucking bang with him. And it'll build up his stock again. You know, if he goes in there and gives a killer performance against John Lineker, knocks out a dude whose head is made of fucking concrete, bring it on. Yeah, then then he can have his other title shot. I agree with everything you just said. I also want to say that TJ said he would go down and stop DJ uh, from the record of defenses, but I, I think that's bullshit. I think DJ needs to come back up to 135. It's where he started in the UFC. I make him come up. I don't even think TJ needs to go down to 125. Well, I, I've always been a fan, too, of saying, why do why do we leave divisions, right? So we we leave a division because we've cleaned it out, okay? That, that's the only time you talk about moving divisions. Anderson Silva talked about going up to 205 pounds once he had beaten everybody freaking twice in, at 185 for the most part, right? So he was allowed to start testing the waters at 205. <laughs> Mighty Mouse has cleaned out 125. What's Dillashaw going to do? Go down there and win the title and stay there and defend it? Against who? Who's he going to defend it against if he goes down? Whereas if Mighty, yeah. Mouse, if Mighty Mouse comes up, now you've got all kinds of new contenders who can fight for Mighty Mouse's title. That's exciting. Then you got uh, all kinds of people who are fresh matchups with Mighty Mouse at 135. You know what I mean? So like, it makes two divisions fun instead of TJ going down, which makes zero divisions fun. You're speaking my language. And then the other title fight we must talk about was Rose Namajunas upsetting Joanna. I think we spoke about this on our preview show. Rose's path to the title, in our estimation, was going to be getting her on the ground and subbing her a Rose phenomenal gifs. But Rose uh, actually caught Joanna uh, with, I believe it was a left hook. It's stunning. I yeah. just I couldn't have been more surprised. And the only person who called it was my wife. Who said all week? I think JJ is a little off this week. Oh, but that's that's, a, that's damn impressive. It, it was. And I, I will, said, You're crazy, but here we are. I, I will say the other the other person who called it, and I, I hate giving props to other uh, podcasts, especially because we are number one. Uh, but if you listen to the Heavy Hands podcast, uh, Connor Rebush, who's one of the hosts on there, said that the thing about Rose Nama Yunus is, is she's brilliant in very quick flashes. And the only way that she was going to win the fight was like a very quick, brilliant flash of striking that John Jacek wasn't ready for, and, and that's what it was. Is it? It wasn't. It wasn't a lucky shot. It was that her footwork, her hands, and her placement was all absolutely brilliant for two seconds. And that, that's not to take away from the rest of her fight, but it was brilliant for those two seconds. For for me, I give JJ an immediate rematch there. To me, you know, immediate rematches are four champions who defended the belt multiple times. I know we're all a little sick of sequels, 
But, you know, I'm fine with that. If she's injured, who would you want to see get that title shot as Rosa's first uh, challenger? So, so first of all, I will say I am an unabashed, big Joanna Janjacek fan. I actually don't give her the rematch here because, for me, a rematch is for, like, when a guy goes five rounds and you're not quite sure if they really won or even if you're sure that they really won, let them run it back. You know, like when Shogun got his second chance against Machida, that, that was a second chance shot. She got freaking blasted and finished. To me, she has to do something to win herself back into that shot just a little bit. And if I'm thinking about who I want Rose up against, I mean, Jessica Andrade has looked really freaking impressive as of late. You also got Tisha Torres about to fight uh, Michelle Waterson. Uh, if Tisha Torres should come out on that, I believe Tisha Torres and Rose Namajunas are one in one against each other. Uh, that would be a trilogy fight for the title. That would be pretty exciting. Um, but apart from that, I mean, I think it's got to be Jessica Andrade. Hmm, okay, fair enough. Um, well, regardless, what an awesome card. I feel like the UFC is really kicking it on the chin this year. Uh, even though I know Dana White claims otherwise, but that card uh, was just, I think, exactly what the doctor ordered. I think it was and, a big uh, savior. I, I think it was a big savior yeah. to the company. You get a couple of fresh faces in there. You get uh, people with renewed interest. GSP brings his whole Canadian fan base back, roaring back into the MMA spotlight. I mean, what a huge day for the UFC, I think. And now we move on to Norfolk, Virginia. <laughs> The, the hotbed of MMA that is Norfolk, Virginia. <laughs> but that being said, somebody in Norfolk, Virginia must have done something to make Dana White super happy because this is a pretty freaking sweet card for being on Fox Sports 1. Yeah, absolutely. I was like, I mean, I want to cue you up here. Why don't you give us uh, the fights or fighters to watch out for on so, this one? So obviously the, the main event is super exciting. Watching Anthony Pettis throw down with Dustin Poirier. Uh, I, I think that that's like a fan's main event. You know what I mean by that? It's it's a super exciting to watch. It's a good styles clash. Um, I really love Anthony Pettis in that. I think he's he's a little bit of a renewed fighter uh, after his last time out. Uh, where he had looked kind of bad in the past, all of a sudden he was back in his last fight for me. Uh, beating Jim Miller, he looked really, really, really impressive. Um, that whole, like, run down to 145 pounds is finally behind him, and he can stay back where he belongs. The question will be is, is, is if he can defend Dustin Poirier's takedowns, which aren't, like, amazing by any stretch of the imagination, but I definitely am kind of excited to see whether or not uh, that part of Anthony Pettis' game and that game plan against Anthony Pettis can, can hold off. Do you think it's it's good enough to stop Poirier? Uh, yeah, I do. I don't see... I think the game plan to beating Pettis, the cheat code that everyone realized was press him up against the fence and bully him against the fence, and I just don't see Poirier doing that. I think Pettis can stop the Poirier onslaught if he did try to bully him up against the fence. I think this will largely be contested in the center of the octagon. Yeah, and if it's that case, then it's Anthony Pettis all the way. Um, but right. A, but another fight on the card, too, that we should talk about just really briefly while we're, we're kicking around this card is a guy who wrote the blueprint to beat Anthony Pettis, and that's Clay Guida. Clay Guida, the first guy when Anthony Pettis came over from the WEC as the champ to fight the champ, and he was like, hey, let's take this guy down and show everybody how to beat him, and that's exactly what Clay Guida did, and he's going to be fighting Joe Lozon uh, which to me is just a super exciting fight. Again, two guys 
fans love them both, and there's no reason not to love them both. Uh, Lozon with super good grappling, so Guida might not want to wrestle him up. But you know what? I will say, I think I like Guida's striking since he's gone to Alpha Male. Uh, yeah, I'm with you on that. He has actually looked better in striking. And I want to mention, you know, you just brought this up. I think this card, it has two fights that, to me, are like, it's like you said, UFC gifts to the fans. You have Guido versus Lozon and Diego Sanchez versus our boy Matthew Immortal Brown. Those are like two fights that, remember last year when the UFC actually cared about Fight Pass, they would always put, like, one of those two, two like in, Yeah, and they would always put like, you know, like a Lozon fight always seemed to end up as the fight pass main event on a pay-per-view. Um, and, you know, or, or maybe this is like something that it's the third from the top on a pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. You have your two title fights. And, and then, then you a really have, like, fun two, fight. Yeah, and then like two legends, two names squaring off. And here we have two of those fights for, for on free TV. Yeah, and, and that's super exciting uh, for me because it, it, it also shows that they seem to be abandoning that model of like, well, got to get the Fight Pass guys on. You know what I mean? And, and I'm happy about that because while I love Fight Pass and, and it gives me something to watch and things like that, we, we don't need to be shoving Joe Lowe's on on Fight Pass. Yeah, I mean, I guess for me, and this goes into another topic for another day, at, doing added benefit to Fight Pass, I like that they were putting a marquee prelim on Fight Pass mm-hmm. because while I do like paying for it, obviously, and I love it, and I go back and watch all the old content, you do kind of want something new, especially when WWE, who kind of set the model on the over-the-top network, they're giving away pay-per-views every month for $10, you know, for the subscription price. Yeah. So... You know, it, it is what it is. The, that's the main event on Fight event. Pass for this card, by the way, should be mentioned. It's a barn burner between Court the Crusher McGee and Sean Tarzan Strickland. Yeah, I uh, I will probably miss that. <laughs> All right, so before we uh, before we close up here, who do you got between Matthew Immortal Brown and Diego the Nightmare Sanchez, or the Dream? The fans. The, the Dream Sanchez. The, the Dream Sanchez. The fans. I got the fans. The I mean, fa- I fan- believe. Fans by TKO. Yeah, the fans by TKO. It's going to be violent. I believe Matt Brown has a reach advantage. Uh, I don't think Diego is going to be able to really bully him. I also think Diego should have retired like four years ago. Mm -hmm. I'm going with Matt Brown, but at the end of the day, this is a fight for the fans. I I think Matt Brown's got more tools, too. I think people forget how many different tools he's got. This is a guy who he out-wrestled Wonderboy Thompson, and he got inside on Wonderboy Thompson. Uh, you know, like, yeah. super, super underrated win back there in his career. Diego Sanchez, I mean, Diego, didn't he fight as small as 145 at one point in time? He's up to one. I think recently, yeah. Yeah, he's up to yeah. 170 here. That's that's not a good look for him. This is Matt Brown's day right here, uh, whether he retires or not. Uh, anyone else you want to mention as we wrap up here? Yeah, unabashedly, every single time uh, there's a fight card with Andre Arlovsky on it, I, I got to rep my boy. Andre Arlovsky was like one of my first favorite fighters uh, when I started watching MMA. He's going to be fighting ranked fighter Junior Albini. Um, I think it's number 12 versus number 13 with between these two, uh, even though Arlovsky's lost four in a row. But I think this might be the right one to get Arlovsky right back on the right foot. In on the fight pat or the FS1 prelim cards, John Dodson's fighting Marlon Moraes in like what might be 
a fight that has title implications in the Bantamweight division. So that's super exciting. Plus you got a uh, friend of the show, Tatiana Suarez. So you, you got to watch this freaking whole card is sweet. Well, there you have it. So we can't thank everyone enough uh, for tuning in. As always, you can catch the show, uh, Top Turtle MMA on Twitter. You can email the show, Top Turtle MMA at Gmail. Thank you to our partner, Flow Combat. Thank you to our sponsors. And thank you to Matt the Immortal Brown for joining us. And, of course, thank you, the fans. I am David Tremonti. He is Daniel Gumby Reland, and we will be back next week. <laughs>